So we were approached about a year ago, I think, um, by Tyler. Tyler is, uh, is living in Boston with his wife, Ashlyn. He's on staff at City on a Hill Church there, uh, I think community groups organizer. And uh, like every other church in you know forever, and especially during COVID season, he's probably doing a thousand other jobs uh, in addition to community groups. Um, but Tyler approached us uh, about a year ago, uh, you know, kind of looking to, to get some reps in preaching and get some reps in, in kind of expanding what God would is calling him to do in future stuff. And, and we love being the kind of church that can say yes to those opportunities. Uh, we want this to be a place where disciples are made and, and people have the opportunity to, uh, to, to express what God is gifting them in. And so Tyler, uh, after you know, several pushbacks and, you know, you know, there was this little virus thing that happened. Um, there's, we finally were able to make it happen. And so uh, Tyler and I are new friends, but I'm excited that he's here today. And so uh, would you show him the same kind of reverent uh, kind of love for the scriptures that you have so blessed me with for the last several years as he comes? morning. How we doing? I, uh, I think seeing a lead pastor who also plays the drums might be a first for me. Uh, so that was, so that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know the proper word for that exactly, but drums was close enough. Uh, but that's awesome. And um, actually, we were talking with Stephen earlier before uh, I realized, too, this is the first time that, that my wife and I have been able to worship on a Sunday in person um, with just the body of Christ. So uh, that's a blessing in and of itself as well. Um, we've, we've been doing the, the online broadcast like so many people um, for the past year, and occasionally we can meet in person on a, on a Saturday, but um, normally we rent out a, a, a school, but obviously they aren't renting out to us during COVID. Um, so again, my name is Tyler. Um, it's good to be with you guys. Um, like Stephen said, I live down in Boston with my wife Ashlyn. I've been there for about five years now. She's been there for about eight. Um, we've been together for four of those years and married for two of those years. Um, no kids yet, but a lovely dog that we treat like our child. Uh, so uh, like Stephen said, this is a year in the making. Um, reached out about a year ago. Uh, that got delayed because of COVID, like, like so many other things. But um, I'm here now and excited to dive into God's Word with you. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew 11. Um, we'll be in verses 28 uh, through 30. Uh, and these are some of Jesus' uh, more well-known words. They aren't, they aren't his most famous words, um, but they're more well-known, right? If you've been coming to church for a little bit, you've probably heard these words before. And when you read Matthew 11 as a whole, it can be kind of easy to skip over them, right? there, and, and it's not because they're not important, it's because they, they're nice, because they sound nice, right? It kind of seems like when you read these words, uh, Jesus is offering you a big hug and a gentle smile, and then you're kind of like, oh, that's nice, next. So uh, again, it's not because they're not important, um, because they are, but I think when you read these and you consider what's actually being said here and what's actually going on, they're really important, uh, because Jesus, he I mean, he always offers you a nice hug and a gentle smile, but here he's offering you a massive 
life-altering invitation, right? And with that invitation, he's, he's also kind of offering you uh, a promise, or almost like a reward for accepting that invitation. And uh, maybe more than that, maybe most importantly, we get a glimpse into who Jesus is, his very heart, who it is that's offering us this invitation. So I'm going to read these words for us, um, Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So three things I want us to consider today. Um, again, in the light of this massive invitation. First, we're going to think about who is this invitation for? Who is Jesus inviting to these things? Secondly, we're going to consider what is he inviting us into? And third, we're going to consider why is he doing this? What is causing him to give this invitation? So let's dive in. Um, notice the first words that Jesus says, says when uh, he calls his people. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Now you might read this and see or think of kind of two categories of people, right? You might think of two categories of people in this room. Um, some of you might think, yep, that is me, right? You are a parent of a two-year-old and a four-year-old. You labor, <laughs> and you are heavy laden. And, and you might not use that phrasing, right? We don't really say labor or heavy laden. You might say, your life feels heavy right now. You might say, you're struggling, or um, things are just weighty in life. You might say, I'm getting a glimpse of that heavy burden because uh, work is insane, and I have so many projects going on, and I'm putting in extra hours. I feel that weight, you might say, I'm, I'm a student. I'm swamped with schoolwork. I'm, I'm just under the stress of trying to get good grades and uh, graduate, and just the stresses and anxieties of, of life are weighing down on me. Or you're a nurse or a healthcare worker, and this has just been the worst year of your life. So that's some of you. And so you hear Jesus' words, and they really hit home. You're like, I, I, I feel that. Labor and and heavy laden, I feel that. And some of you might be on the other side. Some of you maybe feel like, you know, I've, honestly, I've, I've kind of had an easy life. I wouldn't consider myself as someone who labors or is heavy laden or is struggling or carrying these, these burdens, right? Or someone who is stressed all the time. I remember one time, uh, right after college, I was in a job interview, and, and the person interviewing me asked me the question, uh, tell me something hard that has happened in your life and how you got through it. And this question, it kind of stopped me in my tracks. And I, I thought through, okay, all the things that people that maybe have a harder life go through, I was like, okay, well, I mean, my parents have a healthy marriage. Uh, we were never really in need. Uh, we have, we've had no really family deaths. And so I couldn't think of anything, so I sputtered out a, a just kind of stupid answer. And I remember the person interviewing me literally said, you're going to need to give me something better than that. Uh, and I just remember thinking after that interview, if I have not gone through anything overly difficult in my life, is this job for me? And so maybe you read these words and you're asking, is Jesus' invitation here really for you? Right? And maybe it's even bigger than that. Maybe you question if Christianity is for you. Um, if you've been around the church long enough, we kind of uh, tend to say things like, God chooses those we least expect. God chooses uh, the lowly, right? Um, the people that we might be tempted to kind of cast out. God chooses those people. And so if you've never considered yourself one of those people, is Jesus' invitation here for you? 
is Christianity for you? The, the short answer is yes. <laughs> All right, we're done. Uh, the short answer is yes. And it may seem like there are two categories of those who labor and those who don't, but I actually would argue that the two categories are actually those who are aware of their burdens, of the weight they are carrying, and those who are not. Those who do, in fact, carry burdens, have hard things going in life, but they just are not aware of it. Because, you know, maybe you're not carrying the tangible weight of, of a death in the family, of, of disease, um, of, of a hard life, or divorce, the loss of a job. But maybe you're not living in the full freedom that Jesus offers you that the gospel makes available to you. Let me give you a couple examples of what that could look like. So, how many of us, after we sin, we think that we cannot be forgiven, freed of shame, freed of guilt immediately? Maybe, maybe we say we don't believe that, but we look at how we function after we sin, and our actions don't reflect that belief. You know, you, you sin and, and do this thing or that thing, and you're like, okay, I got to... Spend a little bit longer in my devotional times. Got to say a few more extra prayers. Got to confess to a few friends. Wait two days, and then, then I'm good. Then I am free of guilt and shame. Then I can come back into God's presence. Then I am right with God. We think, we tend to think, again, we, we might not say we believe this, but the way we act doesn't reflect that. We think that we need to clean ourselves off and straighten up before uh, we come to God. I remember uh, in college, I had a coworker. We were we were just talking, and and I was interning at a at a church at the time. And this was longer ago than you might think, even though I look young. Uh, and uh, she figured out, okay, you're interning at a church. And she said, she literally said, word for word, if I walked into a church, the word the walls would burn down. And I, I don't remember how I responded. Uh, but I wish I had Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30 memorized in that moment. So that I could say to her, do you know what Jesus says to someone like you? He says, come to me. He says, don't worry about making yourself clean first, that's my job. Uh, Dane Ortland, who wrote the book Gentle and Lowly, which 10 out of 10 recommend, uh, speaking about this says you don't need to unburden yourself or you don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you. You see, when we try to unburden ourselves before coming to God, we're doing the very thing that God wants to do for us. That's a burden. That's not what Christ offers us, right? That is, that is something like a religious value that the Pharisees would teach, right? Other religions say, uh, you have to pay for your guilt. You have to make amends, and then you're good. Then you're good with God. So, so maybe you don't have um, this tangible burden of, of death or disease, but maybe you're carrying the burden of not living in the full freedom that the gospel offers. Um, one more example, if that last one didn't get you. So some of us, as Christians, uh, we live as though this life is all there is, right? Same, kind of same thing as the last example. We wouldn't say that, right? And we, we would say we believe the opposite. But what do our actions point to? Right? We think the end of this life is kind of the end of everything, so we kind of try to squeeze everything we can out of this life. 
And so that makes us fret constantly over things like, will I be able to retire comfortably? Uh, did I miss out on this opportunity or that opportunity or that job? Uh, we need to go on this vacation to that place. We need our kids to get into this school and then get this job and then marry this person. We ask questions like, what do I need to do to get ahead in life? And some of those things, they're not, they're not inherently bad desires, right? Of course we want our kids to get into the schools they want to or get into good schools. Of course we want to go on vacation to nice warm places. Or if you're a mountain person or a skiing person, cold places. Those aren't inherently bad things to desire, right? But, but when they become kind of what you live for, and that happens subtly, you don't notice that happens. When they become what you live for, what you wake up for, that turns into an idol. That turns into the very burden that Jesus died to save you from. We forget that Jesus says earlier on in Matthew, the last will be first and the first will be last. Does your life reflect that? Or does your life reflect, I want to be first here and I want to be first there? We forget that he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. So that's some of us. And, and some of you still might be like, you know, Tyler, I, I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. I'm still not feeling it. I just, I just don't feel labored. I don't feel heavy laden. And so maybe you're still like, is this invitation for me? This doesn't apply to me. Maybe when you hear Jesus say, come to me, you think, how does this apply to me? But, but consider this. It is extremely important for us to, to realize who Jesus is talking to in this passage. Uh, he's talking to a group of people who were living under this massive weight that was the law. Right? The law we find in the Old Testament, all the commands, all the ordinances, all the um, weird rules about the, the threads of clothing and how you can't mix those and can't mix that and how you need to do this and do that. These people, as Paul says in Galatians 3, were kept in custody under the law. Paul describes this law in Romans 8 as the law of sin and death. Even though God gave the law and it was good, it ultimately brought forth sin and death because it was given to sinners. And on top of all this, the Pharisees and religious leaders at that time were putting additional requirements on the people to get right with God that weren't from God, that were oppressive. In fact, later on in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus calls out those very Pharisees for doing that and says, uh, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. So when Jesus, contrasting himself with the religious leaders of the day, calls all those who labor and are heavy laden, he's actually calling all those who are trying to get right with God by toiling and suffering under the weight of the law and under the weight of the religious leaders. He is inviting those who are carrying that burden. And ultimately, those people weren't just carrying um, the burden of trying to do all those rules or fulfill all those things. They were carrying the burden of wanting to be in a right relationship with God, but feeling like they couldn't measure up. So this invitation, this come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, is not just for the mom of two young kids. It's for people who cannot carry the weight of trying to prove themselves to God. This invitation is for people who cannot earn their salvation, who cannot earn their way to heaven, cannot earn their way to God's presence. That is all of us in this room. That is all the people watching online. That's who this invitation is ultimately for.
So Jesus also says, come to me, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, what does that mean? Well, I mean, on the surface, it means just that, right? Go to Jesus, follow him as his disciple, learn from him, learn from his teachings, learn from who he is. What about take my yoke upon you? What is that? Uh, a yoke is, is, is a curved piece of wood um, that would fit over the neck of two oxen, and then it would be connected to a cart or something to be pulled behind, and the idea was it would distribute the weight evenly between the oxen so they could more easily pull the weight of the cart. It was also used as a term of submission. If you're yoked to something, you're submitting to it. It was also used as a teaching term, right? If you uh, understand and take on Jesus' yoke, you take his teaching. You take on his teaching. And so all of those interpretations of, of what Jesus means here make sense and they're correct, um, but I think most scholars agreed that he was referring to kind of how yokes were used with oxen and livestock. And so that means that Jesus isn't offering you some new yoke with the same amount of burdens that the people back in the day were carrying. It means that he offers you a yoke in which he partakes with you, in which you can find rest. Not because uh, there's nothing to strive for, not because there's nothing to do, but because Jesus stoops down and does it with you. Now, it doesn't mean that his yoke is free of suffering or free of hard things in life, but it means he's with you. There's a good song that, that captures this well by John Mark McMillan, um, and the, the chorus goes, I've got no answers for heartbreaks or cancers, but a Savior who suffers them with me. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. So that's the invitation. Right? Jesus is inviting those people who cannot carry these burdens uh, on their own to come to him, to follow him as his disciple, to learn from him. But with that, uh, he also extends a promise, right? Um, almost like a reward, like if you follow me, you will get this. And it's something so simple, uh, yet so profound. Um, it's, it's, it's insane, right? He promises them rest. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Uh, and, and unfortunately, Jesus is not just offering you a nap here. Uh, I think he's offering us two things, two different kinds of rest, right? I think first and most importantly, he's offering you eternal rest from trying to earn your salvation, from trying to earn eternity with God, right? He could, because he's already accomplished that. And the yoke that you put on, he does most of the lifting. So when he says, come to me, he means come to me and believe in who I am and what I've done. And it is out of that uh, promised eternal rest that you can find rest in the day-to-day. Even in the worst of circumstances, the worst of situations, God offers you rest. Because the kind of, kind of rest that God offers you isn't a rest from things, but a rest in things. Because God doesn't offer some kind of momentary escapism Right? Nowhere in Scripture is there any indication that the kind of rest God offers is based on circumstance. He doesn't say, follow me and I'll get you out of this. He doesn't say, uh, follow me and I will fix all of these things in your life and make your life wonderful and flowers and roses. Right? He doesn't say, follow me and I'll make you rich or follow me and I'll um, give you good things for your kids. He doesn't say these things. But, but, how many of us constantly in moments of exhaustion are, are just in prayer and you're like, God, just, just get me out of this. 
How often is that the first thing we pray for? Right? And so we have this mindset that real rest, real relief is just on the other side of this thing. Right? It's just on the other side of this promotion. It's just on the other side of graduating. It's just on the other side of retiring. It's just on the other side of getting married. And we believe that the rest our souls truly need are in the endings and beginnings of things rather than God himself. And again, just like some of the stuff we talked about before, we wouldn't, we wouldn't say that. We might not say that. But what do our actions, our thoughts, our prayers reflect? So many of us think that's how God operates, that he offers us rest only by pulling us out of something or by putting us in something new. He's more powerful than that. He's able to work through your circumstances to continue to give you rest. And so when you have this mindset that the only way you can get rest is by circumstantial changes, what you're doing is limiting God's power in what you believe. Look closer at the verse. Look at the promise of rest. It's dependent on something. And it's not circumstance. And rather than something, it's someone, right? It's the presence of Christ. It's you coming to the Lord. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Right? He doesn't say, uh, come to this set of beliefs. He doesn't say, come to this worldview. He doesn't lay out an eightfold path to peace. No, he says, come to me. It's a deeply personal invitation. It's an invitation to a relationship, not a religion. I think King David in the Old Testament understood this. Um, in Psalm 23, one of his more uh, well-known psalms, he speaks about how God is leading him as, as a shepherd, um, leads a flock, and he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That kind of sounds like rest, right? I mean, just, just close your eyes and lying down in green pastures, that's nice. Being led beside still waters, that's, that's restful. Your soul being restored, that's, David is describing rest. But again, look closely. Look at what he says. It's dependent on someone. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. David understood rest came from God in the presence of God. Now, I mean, I, you know, you might hear me and be like, oh gosh, I gotta stop praying for a change in circumstance or situation then, right? I mean, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, because how many of us have prayed for COVID to be over? <laughs> like, <laughs> For, for the pandemic to be done. For all the nurses and doctors and frontline workers and people that have had to go into work in the worst of the pandemic and expose themselves, for them to be able to rest. For those who are at high risk and can't see friends and family or can see them on a less frequent basis, for those who have lost friends and family, for them to be able to rest with the ending of a pandemic, that's not a bad thing to pray for. And I encourage you to pray for that. But let me, let me say this. Let me ask you this. What if you prayed for them to instead be able to find an absolute, unshakable rest in the love and presence of God, even in the middle of a pandemic? That is a much more powerful prayer. That is true rest. That is rest from God 
not based on circumstance. A rest that is found in the one who is in total control. I genuinely ask where else would be sufficient to look for that kind of rest other than God himself. And this is what Christ promises us. He promises rest in God for eternity. And then out of that, he promises us rest in the day-to-day. In the ups and downs of life, he promises us rest. In the worst thing you've ever gone through, whether that was uh, in the past, whether that's right now, or whether that's in the future, he still stands in front of you and says, come to me and I will give you rest. He pleads you with a personal invitation to come to him. The last thing uh, we should consider that Jesus says in this verse, um, or or kind of thing we should ponder is, why does uh, Jesus offer us this rest, right? How can he uh, even do that, (laughs) right? So when the people heard Jesus uh, offer these words, no doubt some of them instantly thought, who do you think you are, right? Uh, That's uh, Jesus' words here. Just kind of imagine them in today's equivalent. You know, some stranger in the lobby comes up to you and says, come to me and I will give you rest for your soul. It's a little weird, right? Um, Not only is that a little weird, you'd be like, what, you don't even know me? Like, you don't uh, rest for the soul? Like, I think that's a little beyond your abilities, you know? But in this passage, um, consider it is who's offering this this rest, right? When the Pharisees, who knew the Testament, Old Testament like the back of their hand, heard Jesus' words, they might have thought of Jeremiah six sixteen, where uh, God tells His people to stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. Or if they didn't think of that, they might have thought of Jeremiah 31, 25, where God gives us a promise and says something oddly similar. He says, well, for I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. That sounds kind of close, right? To what Jesus is offering us, to the promise Jesus extends to us. So, so time out here, because this, this is massive, Okay. When you think about the implications of this, it is massive. Consider two things. First, God is the one in Jeremiah uh, promising us rest for our souls. And that's something we've talked about already, right? We just looked at Psalm 23, how God promises David rest there, and now he's doing it again in Jeremiah. Right? And throughout all of Scripture, this, this theme of rest, this promise of rest, only comes up in connection with God's power and God's presence. Secondly, consider this. What would it take to offer rest for your soul in the way that Jesus does? Or or a a better way to put it, what would it take to provide that, right? Can I provide rest to the soul of my wife in its entirety? (laughs) No. (laughs) Can you provide rest to the souls of your children, grandchildren, friends, coworkers in their entirety? If your answer is yes, I'm a little concerned. But, no. Because I, I, I think, I think to offer rest to the soul, it takes one who knows the soul, who knows your soul in its entirety. And the only one who knows your soul in its entirety is the one who created it. 
And so what Jesus is implicitly saying in these verses is that he knows your soul in its entirety. And what that means is Jesus is God. And so it, this became slowly more and more clear as I just kind of studied those ver- these verses throughout the, the week that it's super cool. Jesus is not just offering us an invitation here to rest. He's not just offering us a promise. He's also making a claim. And that claim is that he has the power to give it to you because he is God in the flesh. When you get into the nitty-gritty of these verses uh, and really consider what is all being said, you don't just find this invitation, you don't just find this promise, we find in a very real, very uh, actually unique way a picture of the gospel itself. We have God in the flesh telling him to come with us, take on the yoke that I will carry, and I will give you rest. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Painted and said in a way that I honestly had not thought about before. It's beautiful. So maybe you're here and you have not taken Jesus up on this offer for rest, whether it be the eternal rest that he offers. Maybe you haven't put your trust in him in that way. Or the day-to-day rest that he offers. Maybe you realize that you've been carrying this religion, religious burden um, or burden of some kind that is contrary to the gospel. Maybe you haven't spent time thinking about who it is that is offering this to you. You haven't spent time thinking about what it means that God came down and took on flesh. Or maybe you just feel restless, and you don't know why. <laughs> the the uh, insanity of COVID, um, although the, the end is in sight, so it seems, praise God, the insanity of COVID has caught up with you. You can't rest. Or maybe it's the shootings in Atlanta this week that you just feel a weight about and you don't know what to do. You don't know how to process it. Maybe it's just the insane divide that is going on in this country right now over politics or whatever else. Maybe these things are making you restless. St. Augustine, who's a great theologian in the fourth and fifth century, said, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Let me say that one more time. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. So as we close, three things to, to think about, to kind of consider doing, um, to, to find this rest that Jesus offered you, that, that Augustine just said. Um, first, you got to do the hard work. It's, right, you got to do the hard work to figure out where you're carrying burdens and what they are. Because like, like we said at the beginning, there are people in this room who are very aware of the burdens they're carrying. They're very aware of the hard things that are going on in this life, but I would also argue they're unaware of some of the things, too, that they're carrying. And then there are those that just think they aren't carrying burdens at all. So you have to do the hard work. Figure out where are you carrying burdens. And then you have to ask yourself, what does resting in Christ look like in light of those burdens, right? And that might look different for each person, depending on the burden. It could look like simply laying these things down and trusting that, Jesus, you've got it. You've got it. It could look like um, taking action, 
but still having the mindset of, Jesus, you got it. And then finally, when, when you, you sat down, you figured out, where am I carrying these burdens, asking yourself what resting looks like, take him up on the invitation he gives you. Right? Take him up on the invitation to come to him, to rest in him, to find rest for your souls, to find rest um, for everything you're facing in the day today, because that's what he offers you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we are thankful for you. We are thankful for um, the rest that you offer us. Most importantly, most magnificently, most beautifully, this eternal rest, God, uh, this invitation to be with you for eternity. We're also thankful for the rest that you offer us in the day-to-day. The fact that we can be going through just the worst of things and, and you can still offer us rest Um, not from them, but in the middle of them, uh, is something that only someone as powerful as you could do. And so we praise you for that. Um, God, I pray for each person here, whether they haven't accepted that invitation to eternal rest or whether they haven't thought about what it means to rest in the day-to-day, that they would do just that, God, Um, that you would reveal to them where they're carrying burdens needlessly, God, and and not trusting you. in your name I pray and I see things, Jesus. Amen.